Welcome to the ACOFPDO.FM podcast, Women in Leadership Series, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Nicole Bixler, and I'm your current president of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. And it's my pleasure to host the ACUFP DOFM podcast, Women in Leadership Series. And I have the pleasure of being here today with Dr. Joan Grzbowski, who is my guest of honor. And we're going to have a discussion today. Hi, Joan. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Good to see you. Likewise. Well, thanks for being a part of this. We're really honored to have you as part of this series as one of the very prominent leaders in the ACOFP profession. And some of our questions today are gonna to focus on your trajectory since becoming a physician and the things that are most important to you. So first and foremost, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in medicine, how you got here and what you're doing currently? Sure, yeah. So to understand me, you kind of have to know where I come from. And by that, I come from parents that were non-medical people. And my dad was a coal miner. So I'm a coal miner's daughter. And because of that background, my parents wanted two things for their kids. They wanted choices in life and they wanted an education. So all of us went to college and fast forward, that took me to PA school and then to medical school. And for the last six years of my career, which has been more than one decade, I must say, I've been working for my alma mater PCOM as a practicing physician and an educator of both students and and residents. That's fantastic. It's also awesome because I've known for you, you for a number of years, but we do have some common connections. Uh, obviously, PCUM, I'm also an alumni, uh, just not in that area anymore, which I do greatly miss. But I also, too, uh, I'm not coal miner's daughter, but uh, certainly from non-medical parents and who are from the Pennsylvania area who only wanted the best for their kids. So first generation college graduate and medical school graduate on this end. So some similarities there. So wonderful. So in your career, which as you have said, spans more than a decade, who who has served as a female role model or maybe even just a role model in your career as to where you are today? Yeah. So almost every female physician and physician in general has something in them that inspires me, but I'll take it back to Pennsylvania again. And you've already interviewed this person, um, Carol Henwood. I remember watching her on stage addressing large crowds with her eloquent speeches, her passion for whatever subject it was, and her ferocity. Um, So she was very inspirational to me. You've heard of the unsinkable Molly Brown. I think we should call her the unstoppable Carol Henwood. Um, So she, you know, as a person from Pennsylvania, was very inspirational. There was also a uh, Ukrainian uh, nephrologist at PCOM, probably before your time. Her name was Zinia Chernik. And um, I'm sure stories about her, half are probably true, half aren't. Um, She was Dr. Google before Dr. Google existed. Anything you asked her, she had the correct answer for. Amazing German paratrooper during World War II, just balance of life and, and smart as a whip. Smart as a whip. 
But lastly, to this day, I still gather a lot of inspiration from my students and residents. I do a lot of grant programs, so I get to read about their lives and some of their accomplishments. And I look at it and say, I mean, my God, they're all stars. They shine like diamonds and rubies. So, you know, reading from them continues to inspire me even today. That's awesome. That, that sort of leads into our next question, but I agree. It, it is amazing. We think about our own careers and how we got to point A, from point A to point B, but I, I teach students and residents as well. And I'm thinking, I don't think I was ever quite that good with some of the things they do. It's just amazing. But overall, what do you love the most about teaching medical students and residents? What, what, what's the best thing about doing that? Yeah, I, I think I get half of my satisfaction in medicine from the teaching aspect and the other half from patients, taking care of them. I enjoy both, but teaching students and residents probably the most because I feel right now this generation has at the tip of their fingers more knowledge than the entire generations of physicians that preceded them because of their ability to swipe and go on the computer and look. It's so much knowledge. So I expect so much more of them, but do they know how to take that knowledge into the examining room, into the patient? So I wanna give a voice to their knowledge and hands to their knowledge so that they can examine their patients as a practicing physician with all the intelligence they have behind them and have access to. That's phenomenal. I think you're right. That I think that is one of the most daunting things sometimes is someone who didn't learn in that technology-based era of gaining our knowledge and having it at our fingertips and knowing that every time I'm teaching a student or resident within one quick swipe, they could <laughs> point out whether I'm correct or not. <laughs> but yes, they will all the time. But you're right. I think what we get to impart on them is how to adapt that knowledge to the day-to-day -day and how you actually use that knowledge because that knowledge can be both beneficial but also dangerous sometimes. So I think that is our, our greatest challenge in teaching. Yeah, and, and I like to think that maybe a small piece of me will be in them for generations to come when I'm long and gone that, you know, something I did influences them because I know people that I've learned from, I still feel them whispering something in my ear. So I'm hoping that happens also. Yes. And I'm sure I, I would, I would think that for yourself, you've probably already had people come to you at some point and said, thank you, or I remember when I was with you and I, I think that is one of the greatest things is when you get to see your your students or residents grow up so to speak <laughs> yeah. it's making me feel older because I've already had some of those already and I didn't think that was quite possible but it it is pretty pretty unique feeling so that's fantastic so kind of switching gears I think one of the things that I have known you the most for is certainly your work with the AOB of the American Osteopathic Board of Family Physicians, the certification board. If you could explain to those who are listening today what your role is on the certification board and why is certification with AOBFP important? Yeah, so I sit on the board of AOBFP and uh, one of my key roles is to coordinate the OMT examination, which is the physical portion of the exam for both those that are first certifying and those that are recertifying. So we actually train the examiners 
we also bring in all the students and all the physicians that need to be recertified or certified for the first time and make that process happen in a manner that I hope isn't too torturous for anybody. And it usually happens twice a year at both the ACFP conference and at the AOA OMED conference. And then throughout the year with this certification, we're reviewing uh, the tests, making sure the questions are up to date and looking at OCC, seeing that the modules going forward are right and changing over time and not being you know, part of the past, but growing into the future. That's great. There's, there's been a lot of recent uh, momentum, certainly with trying to have our family medicine residents who have graduated, our DO family medicine residents to certainly certify along the path with the AOBFP versus the other potential path, uh, the ABFM. Is there any words of advice to some of those residents maybe as to why the AOBFP certification process is, the, is of course the better way to go? Well, there's many uh, words I, I could say. I mean, I think it sets a standard of quality um, that ensures both the public and their employers that they're up to the task that they should. But it also, it's kind of like someone once said, you go to the dance with the one that, with the one that brought you. And if, if you went to an osteopathic medical school, I'm hoping you went because you liked what osteopathy was for you, what it, what it meant intellectually and, and in your heart. So it's kind of like, why leave your family? You know, if, if that was what your choice was, and we have a very verified certification program, it's gone through many years now, uh, psychometrically sound, et cetera. It, it seems to me like it's a path that you would want to take because we're gentle hands waiting to take you through your career. Very well said. I completely concur. So that is fantastic. I know besides your work with medical students and residents and working with the certification board, one of your personal passions is really about health disparities, the awareness and some public health issues potentially. Could you tell us about some of the things that are you're most passionate about when it comes to those topics and, and why they are important to you? Yeah, so in this practice, we see some of the very poor and we have patients that are also wealthy. And I could see the health disparities that exist either based on economics, sexual orientation, ethnicity, geography, and I see how it affects their care. That should not be. And those problems need to be addressed as they come up with each slice of society. And every year we're presented with a new public health issue that, that needs to be addressed, be it gun violence, suicide, whatever. And I think one of the things I felt was my role the last few years, and especially when I was POMA president a few years ago, was I would write an article every month about a public health issue. For instance, human trafficking. It's something we think we don't see in the office, but if you look at statistics, you probably see it and you miss it because you don't know what to look for. So one of my goals is to help people be educated about something that's uncomfortable, they don't think about, and uh, I want everyone to start thinking. And I think health care should be equal for, for everybody. 
I think you're right. And you've done the same for us uh, on the ACOP side, certainly of writing some nice articles and blogs. And we've been grateful for that. Lots of great insight from, from yourself, from your own experiences. And it has been uh, something that we all need to take a closer look at and be more aware of. Because I believe you're right. There, there's We sometimes think that we know what we see and what we don't see. And what we are experiencing with our patients that we may not necessarily be on the same page all the time. And so I think that it is just more awareness. And I think certainly this last year has proved that more than ever. And it really shouldn't have taken a pandemic and other social unrest in our country to bring some of these things to light, but whatever it takes, then that's what we need to keep uh, pursuing that and keep doing the good work. So thank you for your efforts in that. It's great. So when you look back on your career, and not that your career is anywhere from over, but it's just a time to think of like, what have been some of your favorite moments or your very favorite moment? Or if there's been more than one, what 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 are they? What has it mm-hmm. been? So my favorite moment hasn't happened yet. I'm sure it's in the future. Because if you look back too much, you you miss what's ahead. But there have been many good moments in time over the years. And I will say one of, one of the things that I felt very honored in, in my past was when Dr. Grove asked me to chair the uh, Minority Health and Wellness in the LGBTQ committee. I thought that those were a group of people that we needed to address within ACOFP. And um, he helped us bring that to the forefront and uh, make those topics known and, and, and addressed and stir up a little fire in the crowd. So mm-hmm. I was very honored when he had asked me to do that. So that would be probably one of my uh, happier moments. I shouldn't say happier, but one of the ones that stand out. There was also a moment when I was at a event with Dr. Uh, Regina Benjamin, who is the former Surgeon General, I think 2009 to 2013. And we were sitting next to each other, had no idea who she was. She had no idea who I was. We just happened to be seated next to each other. And all of a sudden in conversation, I find out who she is. You know, I had hit her speech from her during the process. I didn't even know who she was. I just knew she was speaking. So we were having fun. And I was asking her a question once I found out who she was. And I said, I've been offered some roles in leadership. I said, I'm not sure if I should pursue that or not. And she said, take your 15 minutes. So she said, take your 15 minutes in fame. And by that she meant, it's an Andy Warhol saying, mm-hmm. and some people think it means you should you know, kind of shine in the spotlight for that, but that's not really what it means. It means you should take those 15 minutes to do the best with what life sends you as an opportunity. So to grab it, to take it and for whatever reason, don't shut the door on that. It's meant for you to do if it's presented to you and find a way to do it. So that was an interesting moment for me and, and kind of almost life, life-changing life when she said that. Yeah, that's great. That is definitely, I've never heard that phrase or that 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 concept put in that way that, that really is almost like words of of wisdom to kind of, in all facets of life, to take that those opportunities when they present themselves. That is, that is a great moment, an interesting moment. So wonderful. How about, you know, kind of on that note, that those already are words of wisdom, but in general, if you're kind of just thinking or even possibly what you do with your students and residents now who might be looking for advice, so to speak, whether it be on how to 
navigate healthcare as a female or how to look for those leadership positions or just in general to be an advocate for a profession? What are some of the things that you might tell your students or residents that they could be at this point? Yeah, I would say get involved early with your state organizations. So again, in Pennsylvania, it's POMA, but every state has a POMA. They have a TOMA, you know, FOMA, et cetera. Um, get involved very early because you'll see the whole process. You'll learn from, you know, the, the roots of the plan all the way to the final product. And if you get involved, people start to notice you and say, oh, they have a talent in this or they have a talent in that and speak your voice. You know, you're, a lot of times students will think what I have to say doesn't matter, but so often they have a view that we're not thinking about. So voice your opinion and, and be heard and ask us, your, you know, the people that are, you know, already have walked down the path, ask us how to do it. If we're sitting next to you, I, I can't think of anyone that would say, hey, we don't want to talk to you. We want to talk to you so much so much and, and just, you know, try to get them in the right path because we're not going to be here forever, you know, and, and we want this organization to prosper, you know, way, way into time. Here, here on that. You're right. <laughs> we do. And I think it's, it's fantastic that you're, you're so accessible to students and residents and to our profession as a whole, uh, definitely a role model for many to look up to. Before we bring our session to a close, I just want to give you an opportunity if there's any other things that you would like to share, other parting words of wisdom or anything else before we end our time here together. So I don't know if I have any other parting ends of wisdom to share mm -hmm. with you all, but I, I just want to take this opportunity again to say what a great organization um, we have with ACOFP and all our leaders, I thank them in the, for their works in the past. And if I can continue to help in any way, all you gotta do is tap me right here and, and I'll do what I can do. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Joan Grzbowski. We appreciate your time, your leadership, your candidness and everything you've done for our profession. Uh, we can't thank you enough. Stay safe and be well. The ACOFPDO.FM podcast, Women in Leadership Series, is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Interested in learning more about the ACOFP Education and Research Foundation's initiatives? and ways you can support the future of the osteopathic profession, visit www.acofpfoundation.org or email foundation at acofp.org.